Entrepreneurs Over 40, Episode 51, with Lorraine Mayo talking about her career as an entrepreneur and now a model. I don't think we realize how much our circumstances impact our mindset. And I think as we get older, we tend to get more and more stuck in that mindset. So I try to remind myself every single day to think differently or take a different action that I wouldn't ordinarily take or just let my mind go with a different thought process that I might not even have. And that has been really a game changer for me. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. Our guest today is an entrepreneur, life coach, model, and mom with over 17 years in business leadership. She has had several successful entrepreneurial endeavors in her life so far that have taught her some of the most useful and meaningful business skills. Her businesses have run the gamut from providing portable oxygen canisters to limousine and valet services for a global clientele. She has the ability to cultivate success in a diverse set of business environments and enjoys meeting new people and helping them to overcome any barriers in their way to success. She lived in beautiful Aspen, Colorado, but after having gotten her two daughters off to college, she now calls Portsmouth, New Hampshire home. Without further ado, Lorraine Mayo. Hi, Greg. Pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you recognizing my entrepreneurial endeavors over the last 20 years. It's my pleasure. Now, Lorraine, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro? Bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today. Well, I'm actually at a really exciting and pivotal time in my life, and I'm really happy to share it because I feel like so often we get to this point of what people consider to be middle age, and it's like, you know, oh, my life's over, my kids are gone, or, you know, I'm divorced, or whatever else. People tend to hold on to their past instead of embracing the opportunities that are there in front of them and recognizing there's so much more to do and explore and live. So, I'm at that point in my life and really excited. Um, Just got my two daughters off to college. (laughs) Yeah, that that has been quite the feat. And yes, I am very proud of myself and will give myself a pat on the back as a single mom for the last six years. Now, did you come from an entrepreneurial background at all? Did anybody in your family while you were growing up have their own business? Well, yeah, it's interesting. So I'm here, as you mentioned, back in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, after being out in Aspen, Colorado for the last 17 years now. And it's really exciting and new to be back here at this point in my life. But I am the fourth generation from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which I think is very rare for a Black family in the country, never mind New England. Um, Black or white to have your roots go back that far for generations. So that's really exciting. I actually feel very privileged to have 
a memory of my great grandparents. And I mention them because those are my forefathers that did have businesses of their own. My great grandfather, he was a uh, carpenter and he also would preach as well on the side. So for many years, my family generationally, yes, have had small businesses of all different capacities. So although I don't feel like it was modeled directly to me when I was growing up at that age, I might have been kind of taking all that in. I definitely do come from a family of entrepreneurs that have made their way and staked their claim generationally to take advantage of, I guess, what we consider the American dream, right? Now, you went to Northeastern University and studied in pre-law. How did you parlay that into becoming a successful business owner? Well, you know, again, it's the whole New England thing. I grew up here in New England with very high expectations from my family about etiquette and just, you know, education and how we navigated through the world. And I guess I don't feel like I really had adequate counseling at that point in my life when it was time to go off to school. So in an effort to please my family, like so many of us do, I decided to go into law. It was either to be successful, recognized, appreciated, you went into law or you got your doctorate in a certain area. And I just kind of went in blind for law, not really having a full understanding of my gifts at the time, just because I do have a passion in the sense that I seek justice in everything in life. And I think that comes from, again, another generational thing growing up in New England. I watched my grandfather growing up. He was in the Navy for 22 years. And every time that he was home, he was fighting for his kids' rights and, and filing papers. My, I'm, I'm um, half black and half white, half Irish. And I grew up with my mother's side of the family, my black side of the family. So I always saw my grandfather on my mom's side coming home and taking the steps to seek justice for the injustices that were upon his family at that time. Because my family, the male family, was one of the first Black families really established in this area in Portsmouth to buy homes and land and so forth. So I'd have to say I, I saw him fighting and that kind of sparked that interest. But Ultimately, I don't think it was what I needed or wanted to do as a career. I just went into it just because. And that backfired, <laughs> like things often do in life when we go in kind of unprepared. Um, I think I made it through my sophomore year and realized I couldn't sustain my education at Northeastern financially. And also law just wasn't grabbing me enough to want to do what I had to do as an individual to move forward. I often think that we start a little bit too young to go off to college. We all, maybe a perfect world, maybe we'd have a little bit more you know, life experience first, but there's such pressure to 
transition going from high school to college? It's American culture, right? Because what I did find in college in Boston at Northeastern, it was really wonderful because although it was a little premature in terms of what I wanted to do or finding my gifts, what was opened up to me was a worldwide community. Like, because as you may know, Boston is home or is the place where people come from all over the world to be educated. It's a, a real college or university town. So I met a lot of people from around the world. And I realized that Europeans tend to go out and experience the world a little more and travel and they're not just pushed right into it. Can you walk us through your career briefly? Yeah. Like I said, I have been an entrepreneur for the last 18, almost 20 years, actually, before I even moved to Aspen, Colorado. I did small business ventures, started with a portable oxygen, Aspen Air, that I developed beginning to end as far as the packaging, trademark, etc. So that was really a learning experience, a wonderful learning experience. How did you know how to do that? You know, again, I'm going to attribute it to my New England upbringing and the discipline that I've had to have coming up and the way there's just always been an emphasis on business and having a certain order to the way that you do things in life. So a lot of research, you know, all my business endeavors, I am not classically trained as in like a business degree, but I've had some really big, amazing, successful business ventures because of my commitment and level of discipline, I think is what has really been my saving grace. And I, and I feel okay. like I can attribute that to my upbringing, definitely. Now, were you married? Did you have children at that point? I did. I actually, my two daughters, Johanna is 18, my younger daughter, and Narabella is 19, soon to be 20 this next month. But they were young at the time, yes. And after they were born here in New England, we moved out west to Aspen shortly after my ex-husband was raised out west in Aspen and wanted our children to have uh, the same lifestyle as far as the outdoors lifestyle and appreciating that and just having that freedom of exploration, which I think has been really, really wonderful in helping my daughters really become who they are as far as their strength and ability and competence. I think their outdoor education over the years, which is a huge part of their education in the public school system is outdoor education from kindergarten up. It kind of increases as they go up. And what I'm learning is it's quite unique because I speak to people about it and they're like, what? Your, your children have gotten that in the public school system? Yeah. So they really got a sense of just being capable, I think, from the outdoors here. 
Now, backing up just a little bit, how did you realize there was a demand for portable oxygen canisters? Well, you know, when I moved to Aspen, I really didn't know what to expect. And I was just so overcome by the the general air out there. And when I say air, I mean it in a literal and physical and as well as a conceptual way. The air, if you've ever been to the mountains up at 8,000 feet, is just so crisp and clean and dry. And I was hiking with a girlfriend, the first friend I've met there in Aspen, And I was just on top of the mountains and just loving it so much because I'm remembering about the weather coming back to New England, that it's not exactly predictable and changes within a day often. But out West, you get 300 sunny days a year. And I just felt like it moved me on a whole nother level. And I was like, wow, Aspen Air, this Aspen Air is amazing. And that's how my first business venture was born. I knew I needed to do something with my children because I'd gone to Aspen to buy a business with my ex-husband. But that fell through. And I was trying to figure out, you know, kind of what direction to go in and um, how I could just make some money and start a business. And through hiking and enjoying the air, That's how my first business venture was born, Aspen Air. It was portable oxygen. I was like, that's it. It's the Aspen Air. And I also knew there was a need. Of course, when we're doing business right, we have to see where there's a need. And I noticed that people would come up to 8,000 feet and they were often sick and couldn't deal with the altitude and it was too much. So there was a need for oxygen. There was a need for that to be supplemented for people. And then I was just moved by the beauty of my surroundings and it kind of came together that way. Okay. Now, how did you source both the canisters and also the oxygen to go inside? So again, it was quite the process. A lot of research involved, definitely a lot of just questions, talking to people, because what I learned is a lot of this, these type of things sold of that nature are from China and manufactured and produced over there. And so for various reasons, I just didn't want to support that market. And I wanted it to be here in the U.S. made and sourced and the whole thing. And I found one manufacturer in the whole country (laughs) in New Jersey that could do that here. And actually, the Denver Post wrote an article at the time. I think it was called Aspen's Air and Water Go for a High Price. So the focus was on my oxygen and another business that was selling bottled water at the time at a very high price. We weren't sure where that was sourced. So, What was your next business after that or that maybe even occurred in tandem? I made the actual product and then I provided a service with concentrators for my oxygen. And in doing that, 
I met a lot of people and I really began to understand the service industry in Aspen, which is a very, very unique industry. A lot of people may not know. Aspen basically caters to the less than 1% in the world. So it's a very unique hub that way. And traditional measures don't necessarily work there. And so in providing oxygen, I saw an opportunity for a limousine company. My ex-husband actually had experience in that area. He had um, done that before. And when we got into town, he was actually driving a limousine for a friend of his. He went to high school there with in Aspen. And it just seemed right to start a limousine company because again, there was a need for it. And then I have a habit um, of morphing one business into the other. I kind of like to make sure that everything is cohesive and kind of copacetic in the way that one thing can kind of roll into the next and work together. So with the oxygen, I figured, okay, if we have a limousine service, I can have my drivers also delivering concentrators as needed. So then that was born secondly after my first business venture. Now, was there any issues as far as like DOT regulations with the transporting oxygen? So (laughs) that actually came into play quite a bit with the limousine service. With the oxygen, not so much. Oxygen still currently is quite unregulated. I was dealing with the canisters, but as I said, I had the concentrators that only delivered about 80%, so not quite medical grade oxygen. And I think the key there, as in business in general, is liability. And I basically made sure that everybody signed a waiver knowing that this was for recreational purposes and not medical grade. Because if you're catering to people that have existing issues, elderly, et cetera, up at that altitude, you can run into some issues there. So I I didn't want to do that. But it made sense to morph into the limousine service. And that was a really an eye-opening venture that I saw then an opportunity with the limousine service for my biggest venture, which was the private jet ballet service. Now, what does that entail? Um, I'm not part of the 1%. (laughs) It's interesting because that was my most rewarding and challenging uh, business venture to date. I thought I had a full vision and had done all my research. Like I said, a lot of my business ventures on my part have required a lot of research to make sure that I have success. I was the first and only private jet valet service in the country at that time. So, and going into that venture with Atlantic Aviation is who I was contracted out by. They own the private airport there in Aspen. When I went to go shop around for insurance, no one had ever seen anything like that. So, 
I, I felt pretty defeated. I think I tried to get insured for, geez, it was almost three months when I was in the talks with Atlantic and like right before we had signed the paperwork for everything to move ahead and go, it was like, okay, you have to have insurance every which way they were changing an existing structure. And ultimately they were contracting me out because they liked the order that I was presenting to eventually move the business in house. So they weren't dealing with another party outside of Atlantic because Aspen is a unique hub and that business had existed for 30 years. Yet I was only the third owner ever because of the unique structure of it. I I did manage to finally get insurance through my lawyer in Aspen. And again, another thing I learned very quickly in Aspen in such a small hub is you have to build relationships and people will help you out where you need it. But if you don't have that support, from deep-rooted community members there, it's hard to really get anywhere and you won't get too far without it unless you have a lot of money. (laughs) I learned that rather quickly and my lawyer helped me get insured by introducing me to a client of his actually and everything moved forward. Now, what did that business actually do? I'm still a little bit vague on You're not the only one. People are typically quite confused. So it was quite the operation, again, like I said, much more than I anticipated because my clients weren't just the jet setters. It was the jet setters, every limousine company in town, every hotel in town, every property management company in town. So basically, before anybody went over the tarmac to their jet, uh, regardless of what services they were using in town, whether it was a hotel, their own driver, whatever it was, they had to have one of my valets. And I usually had anywhere from eight to 12 valets on at any given time. They had to use one of my valets for an escort to get from the gate to their jet. And my valets are the only ones that handled their luggage contractually. And my valets would then take their cars from the jet and park it into a lot that I also maintained and controlled there at Atlantic Aviation. So I had a parking lot for jet setters when they would come and go, as well as the rental car agencies uh, that had cars for people that were flying in visiting, if they were flying in private to and from their home, or property managers would drop the cars as well for jet setters coming in. So that was another aspect of it. And then the moving part that I had to kind of develop over the years and where I was able to see a little more cash flow from what were the services that I provided the jet setters. So of course, my company is the first contact they have coming into Aspen and leaving Aspen, which I feel is very important and impactive on the visitors. So then I developed a digital platform actually beginning to end, and we developed services to be offered 
And we were then able to offer that jet side at people's planes. So if they were leaving and my valets were taking the car away, they could say, okay, while I'm gone, I'm going to need my car detailed. I'm going to need an oil change, that type of thing. And they could then pay for it on the spot as well. So I developed a platform to make everything a little more fluid that way. Now, do you you think that's a business that could be duplicated at any airport or is it just certain airports? Yeah, absolutely. I've actually had people that have asked me to start private jet valet services for them. They've offered to contract me out and I'm actually entertaining a couple of offers right now. So it's something that I may move forward and really enjoy it because it's a very fast, unpredictable pace and for a wealth of reasons, I work really well under pressure. I'm not wearing it as a badge as that's what we should do. But because of um, my experience, I, I just do. I work really well under pressure in a fast paced environment, I find. And I like that excitement. I like not knowing what's going to come next. Most of all, I really enjoy putting a smile on people's face in in those most challenging moments. So I I think it's something that I may dabble in again. As an entrepreneur, I'm always open to making money and taking an advantage of opportunities that come my way. I, I never completely write something off and say, that's it, I'm done. I believe that would be a waste of our experience and intellect and just general path in life. If we say, okay, I'm through that, I'm not going back to it. You know, you never know what can open up from tapping into um, knowledge You had several of these businesses running at the same time. You had a family. How are you able to juggle all of these? You must have like excellent time management skills. (laughs) It's funny that you say that because my schedule is a lot looser now as a Wilhelmina model. And I have some smaller business ventures going on that I don't have to kind of show up and be on site for. But it took a lot of scheduling. I was talking to a friend actually last night, and and she also has a a young child. And she said to me, Lorraine, you had your children so scheduled in the best possible way that you would, I felt like a bad parent (laughs) because like I would ask you what the kids were up to and you literally had every moment of their summer scheduled. I had to do that. And especially towards the end, as a single parent, I feel like it was really important for them to spend their time doing recreational things and um, learning new skills. Again, Aspen's such a unique hub. I, I feel very fortunate and lucky to be to have been a single mom and business owner there in Aspen the last six uh, years I was there. I was a a single mom and kind of operated on my own and took care of my family in the absence of family because all my family is, is here on the East Coast. So it definitely had its challenges, 
But having raised the children there in Aspen, I had a really wonderful community of people that knew me and knew my family and I could rely on and kind of trade services and trade children when we needed to. As the saying goes, it takes a village. When the children were younger, there were other parents that kind of stepped up and we traded our time. Okay. Now you're currently not running either the valet service or the oxygen concentrating service. Is that correct? Or? Actually, Aspen Air is still alive and well. I okay. do rent out concentrators. I don't manufacture the portable oxygen product that I had on the shelf, but I have offered oxygen from concentrators for quite some time now, uh, door-to-door service. But my main focus lately has been on modeling and acting, which has been really wonderful. Now, how did you get started in that? It's a funny story. You know, like a lot of young women, young girls, it's something I wanted to explore when I was younger. And the opportunity just never came after I went into school, as explained I started my family pretty young. I had a little bit of time where I worked in the arts and then started a family and dove into these different kind of entrepreneurial endeavors. So during COVID, my eldest daughter, she wanted to model and being the recovering control freak (laughs) that I am. I had set the whole thing up and planned to sit on in on her meeting, but she was about to go off to college to California Lutheran University. And agency just didn't think the timing was right, but they were like, actually, we'd love to sign you. (laughs) And I was like, what, really? And like I said, we had just gone into COVID, so everything was being conducted differently and online, whereas if it weren't for COVID, I probably would have never had the opportunity because Denver is four hours from Aspen. Aspen is in the middle of nowhere. So unless you're flying in and out, things aren't easily accessible. So I was happy to be in front of the agency and delighted to sign at the time, um, home with my children. And I, I never really saw it as an opportunity to have a career or a career path. But as I pursued it and took it more seriously and started to treat it as a business as it is because with the direction that marketing has gone in right now, everything is social media platforms and online and uh, the direction of everything, the timing was just so perfect and so many opportunities opened up. And now I'm really excited to have the opportunity to expand the Wilhelmina brand here to the East Coast. Wilhelmina New York has um, offered to let me test for them next month. So I'm super excited about that because I just, I, I want to continue with it for sure. 
Now, what advice do you have for somebody that's looking to pursue a modeling career and they're in later in life? And I hate to say that like we're, you know, geriatric, but for the <laughs> for, well, you know, for modeling purposes <laughs> it's, in the past, and I'm just digging a deeper hole here. <laughs> well, I don't think that you really are digging a hole. I think that you're speaking a truth because this has been what that 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 industry has projected historically and what i would suggest is being unapologetically you and i think we're all learning that at this point i think covid really gave us all the opportunity to stop pause um reflect and look a little deeper within ourselves and through looking at myself, loving myself more, appreciating who I am, the accomplishments I've held, what I've done with two children. I I was married for 16 years. All these different things, I've finally been able to not wait for society to tell me that I'm on any right path or fit in a box, but I've had the chance to really discover who I am and the strongest parts of me that have allowed me to do these things that have brought me where I am now. And, And through that, I find the confidence to be in front of the camera. What has surprised me the most is you look at an industry like modeling that seems very external and maybe is somewhat shallow. And I'm not going to lie, I struggled getting into it at this age because of that and because I come from such a conservative family. But what I've learned is to bring something extra to the camera and truly be in a place where you're taking good pictures and you're relaxed in front of the camera, it takes so much self-reflection. It takes so much digging within. Of course, I've done a lot of that as a life coach. I'm a certified life coach. So I started to do that and I thought I had done so much work until I had to look at all these images of myself and what I was holding on my countenance. I've lived 48 years, you know, I'm not a 20 year old. I'm not a 25 year old. I'm at a different point in my life. So I've learned to have a self-awareness and, and not hold on to things, to mindfully release things so that I am not carrying those things upon me when I go to work when I represent these brands. I think a lot of the reason that these companies want to work with younger people because they are so carefree. They're not carrying these crosses and these stern looks on their faces. So I've really had to make a conscious effort to keep digging in deeper to release what I see on the outside from looking at all the images of myself that I often have to look at. Okay. I can imagine that would be interesting to say the least (laughs) as far as, Oh, what was I thinking there? (laughs) Yeah. 
might have had indigestion in that one. I don't know. <laughs> well, so. for me, I think um, trying to prove myself as a woman, as a woman of color, as a mother, I carried myself, I think, very seriously and sometimes sternly to move through things and get things done and accomplish things. But now I've learned of tactics to move through things. And I have learned to release that sternness and release my jaw and my face and kind of be more inviting and inclusive because ultimately everybody wants to feel like they're seen and heard and included, right? I I learned that in such a big way with the airport as well, having that business. And I was going through a divorce at the time that I had it and had to deal with the public. I didn't really anticipate running that business on the level that I did. And for various reasons, I, I had to as kind of front and center. And going through so much, that was, again, another lesson of how we carry things, how we project, how we come across to people, I really had to take a step back and recognize how I dealt with people. And that that was really wonderful. You know, it opened up a lot to me and, and it a lot a lot manifested from those realizations. Let me ask you this, what's next for Loray? Like I said, even with this modeling, I never, ever saw it coming. I'm definitely focused on a career and acting and modeling and speaking at this point. That's the advocate part of me that I was explaining earlier, seeks justice, that I can fulfill that way. The academic, the intellect can be fulfilled by sharing good information. I really believe that education is one of um, the most important focuses in our uh, society on a whole. I feel like so many people are misinformed and deprived of information, therefore suffer. And I think for those of us that do have good information and access, it's very important that we share that information. I'm really looking forward to moving into the public speaking platform now, aside from modeling and acting and kind of perfecting that craft right now. Let's get ready to wrap this up. Is there a book that you currently recommend to move someone to either start their business or, you know, to even pursue modeling if that was what they were interested in? You know, I am a little bit of a unique entrepreneur that way. I definitely listen to a lot of entrepreneurs, listen to a lot of podcasts, and I tend to take a little bit from everywhere. I I don't really get my mind set in one direction too much or in one type of doctrine too much. I like taking bits and pieces that I find interesting. And so podcasts allows me to do that a little more freely. And I I honestly think that the balance of mind, body, and soul um, makes you a better entrepreneur and human in general to be able to function as an entrepreneur. I focus on the mind, the body, 
and the soul collectively. And I take in and I read what I can, but my greatest book to date. And I always say it's still just my Bible. I'm such a like simple, easy person. I'm real, just traditional and, and simple as far as my practices that way. You know, I, I believe that different strokes for different folks, but I encourage people to really dive into what sets their soul on fire. You know, what moves them personally Okay. Yeah. What's the best way for someone to contact you or check you out? The best way right now, I'm actually purposefully coming into modeling and out of all of the business ventures I've did, I've really just downsized everything and all my different streams of social media and interaction just because I've been in a certain growing phase, I think. So IG, you know, direct, my name is Lorraine Mail on IG, Lorraine Glows, and just shoot me a DM. I'm on Wilhelmina Denver's website as well for work. So wilhelmina.com backslash Denver, Lorraine Kentav on there. That's my uh, married name. But on Instagram, you can find me Lorraine Mail at Lorraine Glows. Okay. Lastly, I guess, what's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners? The one piece of advice that I would say has been instrumental to my growth as an entrepreneur and probably as a person in general, feeling like I'm growing and learning and experiences more, experiencing more is to keep an open mind. We all grow up in a certain set of circumstances that kind of form us. And I don't think we realize how much our circumstances impact our mindset. And I think as we get older, we tend to get more and more stuck in that mindset. So I try to remind myself every single day to think differently or take a different action that I wouldn't ordinarily take or just let my mind go with a different thought process that I might not even have. And that has been really a game changer for me. I feel like I've grown leaps and bounds through that practice. Okay. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Lorraine, for being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Check out the newly redesigned Entrepreneurs Over 40 website at www.entrepreneursover40.com. While you're there, sign up to get updates from us. Also, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any other episodes. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.